Would you do me a great favor? Would you turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the 19th chapter of the book of Acts? If you remember, last week, I, uh, I gave you a little insight of what took place in my life as I study the Bible, as I try to prepare for each, uh, each particular week. And as I was reading this place in Scripture, my intent was to go from verse 20 to verse 41. In other words, to cover the whole chapter. And I understand that's a big chunk for me. I don't normally do that. But if you'll note, this story is pretty much a narrative. This is pretty much a place that kind of explains itself. As I was reading, I mentioned to you, there was a couple of places that were like road bumps, uh, speed bumps that I come to when I study. I like to get alone, like to get a place where I can read. So uh, when you get alone and you just read scripture and you kind of see what it says to you, it's a wonderful thing to kind of give it your attention. I I never start reading the Bible that I don't quote to myself and to my Lord, uh, Psalms 119, verse 18, where it says, open up my eyes, dear Lord, so that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Uh, That is my intent. I I want to open my mind and my heart and my my eyes so that the Lord may be able to pour whatever he wants into my life. Well, I was reading through, and I saw in verse 20 that it says, the word of the Lord was continued to grow, and and, uh, I think, was it it multiply or um, mm, mightily prevailed? Yes. And I saw that, and I thought, you know, that is exactly what we teach here. That is exactly what I believe the Bible would have us to do, is to to see the Word of God mightily prevail. It is the Word of God that will change our lives. It won't be some wonderful message that someone might bring us. It isn't uh, trickery. It is pure and simple. It is God using His Word to penetrate our hearts to penetrate our minds, our thoughts, so that we might give him our attention. So I read that, and then verse 21, as I said to you last week, was almost like a throwaway verse until I saw what was being said there. And the reason that made it so wonderful is that Paul is in Ephesus. He wanted to go to Jerusalem. He said the Spirit moved him to go to Jerusalem and then to Macedonia and Acacia, and then he was going to go to Rome. So his Spirit moved him to go to Jerusalem. Let's say Jerusalem is here. But he first went to Macedonia and, uh, is it Acacia? He first went there, which is opposite of Jerusalem. And so as we cross-reference that, we found out that it was necessary for him to go to these places to, to accumulate some money so as to go and help the church in Jerusalem. And what it was was to bring unity to the body of Christ for the Gentiles to help the Jews and the Jews to help the Gentiles. It was so that there would be a bond, a bonding of unity within the body of Christ, which we can learn from today. So as I'm reading along and I'm, I'm, I'm hitting these little road bumps and I'm thinking, oh my golly, how am I going to get all the way to the end of verse 41? And that happens to me a lot. That's, that's my dilemma. Um, because I, I start reading these things and I say, well, this is, this is something that we ought to know as a body of believers. I, I believe the Lord wants us to know this. And so then I come and, 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 just, and just hit verse 25 head on. And verse 25 is, is a, a marvelous verse. It, it says, in verse 24, we're t- talking about Demetrius, who is a silversmith, who is making these handmade uh, uh, idols unto the, 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 the temple of Artemis. And, and he is, that's his livelihood, 
it says, he gathered together workmen of the similar trades with him, and he said, man, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business, and that was it. I couldn't go a step further. I stopped my study, and I started asking myself, where is my prosperity? Where does my prosperity lie? What is it that drives me as a human being? What is it that makes me get up every morning and live this day? And that is, I think, a wonderful question for you to get alone with yourself and ask yourself sometime. Ask yourselves, what is it that drives you as a human being while you are here on this earth for as many days as the Lord gives you to live? What moves you? For Demetrius, he is known forever through the word of God that his business was his prosperity. It was what drove him. And the title of this message is, this is almost like a, uh, could be a topical message. Your prosper, wrong, prosper, wrong priorities will cause confusion in your life. And until you are certain where you stand and what is your priority in life. You will be tossed here and there by all sorts of different things. I always, I love reading about one of my heroes is Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I think you know this by now. And, and I, every time you study and through his commentaries, he's like a he's, a, he's an open book. I mean, he's just, here I am, see me, you know. And, and he says that he belongs to no committees. He doesn't he doesn't join in on any committees doing different things within the community. It's not his call. And so it was simple for him when people came and said, will you join this cause, will you join that cause, or whatever. It was simple for him to say no. And it was interesting to me that I read that a long time ago because I had already purposed in my mind what would be my priority as a human being. If you'll know one thing about me, you'll know that I don't go speaking at a lot of conferences. Get asked, but don't go. As a matter of fact, whoever would take my call would know that it doesn't have to even get to me. They'd know that, well, Pastor will not be able to do that. He'd love to be able to join you, but he won't. His commitment is to his body of believers. His commitment is here. And so there's no... I don't have the time to study to go elsewhere to speak when I'm studying to be with you. I love you so much. I don't think it's hard to put in words. Wes, Wes Porter taught last week at, at our men's group and for our, our young people, and he's going to be teaching at Bible 101. And he said to me just no more than five minutes ago, I understand why you say you love us so much. He says studying the Word of God, having that commitment to a group of people makes you get into the Word and it makes you love the people you're teaching so much more. And he hit it. He hit the nail right on the head. I love you folks. You force me into the word of God. You help me to become a better person. And so it's not hard for me to say no to certain things because I've got my priority. I know this is my first. This, this is my first place to be. My other priority when, when the kids were around and, and they were younger is I wanted to pour my life into my wife and my family. That was a priority to me. It wasn't 
hard for me to say no to golfing dates or um, uh, excursion with, the, with guys or, or to do things. That was easy for me to say no. I wanted to spend as much time as I could with my kids and my wife. That was a priority to me. Those are things that I have already thought through in my life. And what we're going to see today is we're going to see two different people. We're going to see Paul, who has a marvelous priority upon his life, and we're going to see Demetrius, who has the wrong priority, which brings about in his life. Take a look with me real quickly. Look at verse 29 and 32 of this chapter 19, and then we'll read through it all. In verse, in verse 29, it said, The city was filled with the confusion. They were confused. They rushed with one accord to the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus. Look at verse 32. Some of them were shouting one thing, some another. The assembly was in confusion. The more majority didn't know for what cause they had come. They didn't even know why they gathered together. I mean, I mean, that is not a way you and I ought to live as a believer in Jesus Christ. We ought to know what we are doing. We ought to know what drives us. What is our priority in life? With that in mind, let's read this marvelous place in Scripture. And I want you to take a comparison between these two men, Demetrius and Paul. And what we're going to look is how, how maybe you and I can get our priorities straightened out, if in fact you need to. Verse 20, the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Now after these things were finished... Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Acacia, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Verse 22, And having sent to Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And about that time there arose no small disturbance concerning the way. Verse 24 says, For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades, and he said, Man, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. And you see and you hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she, whom all of Asia and the world worship, should even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Verse 29 says, The city was filled with the confusion. They rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. When Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him, and also some of the um, oh, well, Israelites, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. The majority did not know for what cause they had come together. 
Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward. And having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Verse 35 tells us, After quieting the multitude, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and that the image which fell down from heaven... Since then, these are undeniable facts. You ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's affair, since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we shall be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. There is a couple of thoughts that we really need to mention in this reading right here. Key, though, is... A wrong priority is going to cause confusion in your life. If there's one thing I would like for you and me to walk away from here today is to at least reason within our hearts that we would love to see what is our priority in life. What drives us? What are some of the things we can do not without? And what are some of the things that we might need to remove from our lives that are causing confusion, causing us to drift away from whatever it is, is your priority. If we have time, and I'm certain we will, I want to share with you a couple of stories of people who, um, who count the cost, um, made certain that they had their priorities straight and, and knew exactly what it is they wanted to do with their lives. That's what I'd like for you and me. Let's, let's ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, please. Take this particular place in Scripture that, uh, that we can look and see a man, Demetrius, who is driven by the priority of money. It caused confusion in his life, as we well see. I pray, Father, that you would not allow any of us who know and love you and claim you as our Savior and Lord to be confused about what is our and what, what are our priorities in this life in which we live. Perhaps some of us today need to take stock. What are we doing with our lives? What is driving us? And I pray, Father, that you would bring clarity to each person here. That we would sit down and... Um, get ourselves right concerning you first so that we might put everything else in its proper order. Now, Father, would you move me aside, please? Open up our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law and teach us, Father. May the Spirit of Almighty God fall upon us 
and teach us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. What we see from verse 20 and 21, as we saw last week, is the overwhelming importance of the Word of God. I made mention to you there were a couple other places in Scripture, Acts chapter 6, verse 7, Acts chapter 12, verse 24, that pretty much say the same thing. Basically, that the Word of the Lord was growing mightily, was prevailing. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, The Word of God kept on spreading. Numbers of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great number of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. What makes a person obedient to the faith is the teaching of the Word of God. Acts chapter 12, verse 24 says, The Word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. So we're on the right road. We're moving in the right direction. We, we have reasoned and chosen within our heart of hearts as a church to center our thoughts and our minds and our hearts upon the Word of God. We're not going to go off in one direction or another. We're going to teach this, the Bible, to one another so that we might equip one another and we might do what God has called us to do in this life in which we live. Well, then we saw in verse 21 why Paul went to Macedonia and Acacia before going to Jerusalem, why he went out of his way to receive financial help. Look with me, please, just for a moment at Romans chapter 15. We mentioned it last week. It really deserves being looked at again today. You see, Paul's ultimate goal in going to Macedonia and Acacia before going to Jerusalem was to bring about unity within the body of Christ, that the Gentiles were to care for the Jews and the Jews were to care for the Gentiles. In fact, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, you and I, we are all indebted to one another. Romans chapter 15, verse 27 says, yes, they were pleased to do so, pleased to give of their finances to help the church in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do this because it says at the rest of verse 15, excuse me, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 27, they are indebted to them, them meaning the Jews in Jerusalem. If the Gentiles have shared in spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. You and I are indebted. There is, a, there is a misconception about our faith that when we come to Christ, that's all that needs to be done. It's over and done with. And we owe, we owe, no, we, we owe nobody anything. But that's not true. You and I, when we come to Christ, we are indebted to our Lord. We are indebted to live this life right here and right now to pay back for him for the spiritual blessings that he has given to us and the material blessings that he has given to us. We are indebted to our Lord. And your life and my life ought to be lived in such a fashion that when we take our breath during the days that we live, that we live them unto the Lord. At least that ought to be a priority of yours, but then again, you need to... You need to chart your own course. I can only tell you as a testimony before God, if you make him, 
your first priority. If your love for him will not run lukewarm, but if it will run hot, he will bless you beyond your wildest dream. But that you'll have to learn on your own. And he'll do it. He is a faithful and wonderful God. And so Paul wanted to bring unity to the body of Christ. He wanted to show Jew and Greek alike that they were indebted to one another. Well, back to Acts chapter 19. We come today to a man named Demetrius. And it's really interesting how Scripture fits together with Scripture. How all of a sudden we're seeing that Paul has taught the church that we are to be indebted to one another. That our priority ought to be to help one another. Now we come across, across a man who's, who's, whose priority is his business, whose priority is his material things. His prosperity, as we learn from verse 25, depended upon his business, which ended up bringing, in verses 29 and 32, confusion to himself, to those who joined with him, to the city as a whole. Now, I want to start with this this place in Scripture, Mark chapter 8. You, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 8, please. And I want you to put a, something there to hold there because when I conclude, I'm going to come back to Mark chapter 8 again. The question that needs to be asked when you try to figure out what is your priority in this life in which you live? What is your driving force? What moves you? What motivates you to live your life? In Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, Jesus Christ asked the disciples and everyone there who would listen to him, he says in verse 36, What does it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? He asks in verse 37, What will a person give in exchange for their soul? Great question. It's a great place in Scripture. Demetrius and his priorities, his driving force was his business. It caused him to act irrationally. It caused him to act foolishly. It brought about confusion for not only he, but for his friends and the community in which he lived. I stopped when I thought about Demetrius and I thought to myself, if, if he were in hell, let's say he never accepted the Lord. Let's say he died in his sin. Let's say that you and I could walk before him today and ask him, Demetrius, do you believe your decision to making your money, your priority, do you believe that now to have been a wise decision? I know this is a foolish question. I know it's, it, 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 it's silly to even ask, but it, it needs to be thought through. I believe he would say to us with all of his heart, I wished I would have acted wiser. I wish I would have built my life upon Jesus Christ, upon spiritual things, and used the material things that came my way to benefit my Lord. I, I believe he would say that. So my desire for you and for me is to think. Think through this process. For us today, 
to consider what kind of a person are we becoming? Are we going to be a person who wished that we acted wiser later on in our life? You know, uh, I thought this way. I thought, you know, if I, well, I didn't think this way. I didn't think that if I'd ever become a Christian because I thought, I thought you guys were just, you were really weak. And, and I, I thought that you just were all needed a crutch. You just couldn't deal with your life on your own merit. You know, couldn't stand on your own two feet. You needed some religion to help you. That's what I used to think. But what I want from you and me is to be a people who, who consider the now. To be a person who is obedient. A person who acts according to the word of God. To build our lives upon the correct priorities today, now. To allow our prosperity to be built upon Jesus Christ. That's my, that's my agenda. My agenda for you and me today. Back, please. But hold your place here. We're going to come back to Mark chapter uh, 8 in a moment. In verse 22, let's take a look at the text. Paul sends Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia. Now, Timothy, of course, was Paul's closest friend at the time. He was a disciple of his. He was a co-worker of his. Most importantly, Timothy was Paul's spiritual son in the Lord. Later, Timothy would become the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Timothy was going to pour his life into this place, Ephesus. But he sends him to Macedonia along with Erastus. Now, Erastus we don't know much about. He could be the one that is mentioned in Romans chapter 16, where he is a city official. He is the city treasurer. We don't know. It's not important to me. What is important is, in verse 22, we read something very interesting that fits in with the message. Fits in with the whole thesis of what is your priority. It's a very simple statement. It just says, Paul stayed in Asia for a while. Why? Do you ever ask yourself why? Don't start reading the scriptures so quickly that you don't ask the questions. Why? And how can I find out? Well, to do a study upon why Paul stayed, you can cross-reference scripture with scripture to find out. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and you and I will know exactly why Paul stayed in Asia for a while. Think it through. You're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, but think it through. Paul said he purposed in his spirit to go to Jerusalem. Why then in the next verse does it say that he decided to stay in Asia for a while? What's his priority? What changed him? What was his driving motive for staying in Asia? We know, look. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Look at verse 8. Paul writes and says, I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why, Paul? Why are you going to stay in Ephesus? Why are you going to stay there instead of going to Jerusalem, going to Macedonia, going to Acacia like you, you reasoned in your spirit you were going to do? It says in verse 9, because a wide door 
for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. That's Paul's priority. Paul's priority in life was to draw people to Jesus Christ. And when he saw this door open up for him to stay there and to present the gospel and to win as many people in Ephesus to Jesus Christ as possible, regardless of the, uh, the adversaries, he decided to stay. He was willing to risk his life for the eternal life of those who were in Ephesus because a wide door of service opened up to him. And so it was no trouble at all for Paul to say, I'm not going to Jerusalem just yet. This is my priority. This is where I belong. The Lord's opened up a wide door for me. I'm staying. This is where I'm going to stay and do my work. He, it was no confusion in his heart. None knew exactly where he ought to be. It says there were many adversaries, but, but, if you remember back at chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, Paul had a vision. And it was the one time I said to you, it appeared that Paul was frightened. And the Lord said to him in a vision at nighttime, don't be afraid any longer, Paul. This is Ephesians, this is, no, excuse me, Acts chapter 18, verse 9. Don't be afraid any longer. Go on speaking. Don't be silent because God said to Paul, I am with you. I'm with you here. And no one will attack you in order to harm you. I have many people in this city. Now watch this truth. I found something interesting about what is said here. And what happens here in this whole incident. Gaius and Aristarchus are the two guys that get captured. Not Paul. Interestingly, the Lord says, I will protect you, Paul. I've got many people there in Ephesus. And may I say to you that although God said he would protect Paul, that did not mean that he would do the same to all the other Christians who were there, namely Gaius and Aristarchus. They both were captured. What we learn from this is that you and I cannot claim what is given to others by God as our own. We cannot say, well, God healed this person of cancer, therefore God will heal me of cancer. We cannot say, God allowed this person to be prosperous in their business, therefore if I do what they do, I'll be prosperous in my business. No, God has a definite plan for each and every single one of us, and it might vary. The worst thing that you and I can do in our Christian faith or in anything that you do is to start comparing yourself to others, saying that you want to be as good as or as successful as this person or that person. No, rather, you and I say, we ought to be the best at what we do that our Lord will allow us to be. When I was playing baseball as a younger man, one of my downfalls was I always compared myself to others. Always wanted to be better than the next guy. 
It never dawned on me that I should be the best that I could be. I always wanted to be better than the next guy. Later in my life, when I became a Christian, I realized that the foolishness of that, to try to compare myself to another person or to try to be more successful than them. I gave a message one day. As a matter of fact, any of you watching this thing on television called The Bronx is Burning? It's a thing, a history of the Yankees. I don't know if you watched it. I lived that moment. In that, in that, that documentary of the, of the Yankees and, and, and that winning the World Series in 1975, I think it was, Billy Martin was the manager. He was a complex human being, if there ever was one. Now, I knew Billy Martin. I was asked by the Yankees, I believe it was the Yankees, to go when they were playing in that playoff against Kansas City to Kansas City to do a chapel for them. They asked me to fly from Los Angeles to Kansas City to do a chapel for the, Angel, for the Yankees and then go back home. So I flew to Kansas City, went to the ballpark, did chapel. In that Brox's Burning documentary, at one point they have Billy Martin kneeling in his, in his, in his office praying. And if you know anything about Billy Martin and you don't know the depth of the man and the complexity of the man, you'll say, that's phony. I'm here to tell you that is a truce. That happened. I watched him on his knees. I did chapel for the team, and, and I spoke upon, of all things, what I was asked to speak upon was not comparing yourself to others. In other words, Reggie Jackson shouldn't be like, like the number two hitter and, and, and the number two hitter shouldn't try to hit home runs. Do, everybody should do their own job. And you'll be successful. After the chapel was over with, I was walking out. Billy Martin walked up to me. He said, that is exactly what we needed to hear. And I said to him, how did you know? You weren't in there, were you? He said, oh, I hear everything. I was outside the door and I was listening to you. He says, take a look at my hat. He gave me his hat and I looked at it. And I looked at it closely in the, in the, the New York on the front of his hat where they have their... Uh, you know the insignia? There was a cross. I said, a cross there, Billy? He says, yeah. He says, I never, never walked on a field in my life without the cross on my hat. He says, I have a love of God. I wanted to say in my side here, I said, you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a nice long talk. And uh, I knew him before that. Uh, had the privilege of playing against him when he was with the Yankees. But I knew him, but only an acquaintance. But the whole point of this story is there is a point in your life, in my life, where we've, we've got to stop trying to compare ourselves with other people. Just because we're all Christians doesn't mean that God is going to deal with each other of us the same. He has a definite plan for each of our lives. And what you and I need to, to find out in our life is what is it that God appears to want us to be, and we ought to try to be that person the best that we can. There's not a time, I can say this with all of my heart, there's not a time I've walked into this pulpit or any pulpit that I've ever preached that I've not given it everything I have. I want to be the best that I can be. I don't want to be better than someone else because that's not what God is asking of me. But God is asking of me to give him my best every time. 
that's a priority of mine. Well, back to Acts chapter 19, we see that the adversaries are, verses 23 to 41, the adversaries are Demetrius and some of his co-workers. They cause, as it says in verses 29 and 27, a riot, a confusion within the city. The reason is they feared that Paul was going to stop people from buying their man-made idols. In other words, Paul was going to stop their priority. And I'm here to say to you today that no man can stop what God is going to do in and through your life. So your priority and my priority, our driving force ought to be to please him. Because no one can stop what God is going to do in your life. Demetrius explains. Look at verses 26 and 27. He says to the people, you see and you hear, not only in Ephesus, but also in all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that God made with hands is no God at all. Not only is there a danger that this trade of ours were going to fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she, whom all of Asia and the world worships, will be dethroned from her magnificence. After all, they believed in verse 35, the end of that verse, that she fell down from heaven itself. In fact, I get a kick out of what the town's clerk says. He says, look at the end of verse 35. He says, we know that the city of the Ephesians is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and the image which fell down from heaven. Since then, these are undeniable facts. Give me a break. An undeniable fact that that thing fell down from heaven? No, no. That's what they thought. And so Demetrius convinced them that Paul and his disciples, the church, was a serious threat to their prosperity, their livelihood, their religion, the great Artemis. And then in verses 30 and 31, some of Paul's friends protected him or he would have been mobbed just like he was in Lystra. Lystra, they stoned him, not to death, almost, but possibly he would have been stoned to death had he gone forward. But there were some that protected him. Verse 30, Paul wanted to go to the assembly. The disciples wouldn't let him. And some of the uh, Asiarchs, I think, who were friends of his, sent to him. The Asiarchs were, 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 were political and religious officials. They were people of means there within the city in Ephesus who had come to Christ. Just as God said, Paul, don't be fearful. I've got many people, many people there to protect you. And it took the soothing plea of the town's clerk, I'll give him that credit, to rescue Gaius and Aristarchus. You see, Paul and the others had already persuaded a considerable number of people that gods made with hands were no gods at all. And so the townspeople, left and right, there was a wide door for service. There was a wide door open to Paul. People, left and right, were turning to Christ, to the living and true God. And as Paul taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4, 5, 6, and, no, 4, 5, and 6, 
He says, concerning the things that, that we eat, sacrificed to, to idols. He says, we know, in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, we know there is no such thing as an idol in the world. That there is no God but one. He says in verse 5, even if there are so-called small g gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many small g's and many gods, small, small l, many lords, yet for us, he says, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things. We exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him, we exist through the Son and for the Father. Your life is to be lived for God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. That ought to be your priority. That ought to be your driving force when you get up in the morning and when you lay your head down in the pillow at night. Back to Acts chapter 19. Look at the irony of it all. Look at the irony of it all. Demetrius who is a bitter opponent of Christianity. And all of the townspeople there with him were forced to confess one thing. They were forced to confess that the preaching of the gospel was successful. Look at verse 26. Demetrius says to them, look, we see and we hear, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, Paul has persuaded and turned people, a considerable number of people, away, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And to top it off, they still could not come up with any legitimate charge of their doing anything wrong. Look at verse 37. The townsperson, the towns clerk says, you've brought these men here who are neither robbers of our temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. In other words, this is a mess what you've brought them here for. Let's face it, folks. Face it, pure and simple. Their concern was purely financial. For the most part, as verse 32 tells us, they don't even know why they brought these guys before the court. It says in verse 32, some of them were shouting one thing, some of them another. The assembly was in confusion. The majority didn't know for what reason they had even come together. What they knew was this. The more people became Christians, the less their market became available for man-made shrines, and therefore their prosperity was in jeopardy. That's typical of a depraved mind, to focus on material things rather than spiritual things, to make material things our prosperity rather than the things that are of value. What would you give in exchange for your soul? One thing you can learn, when they left this amphitheater, they went back to their normal lives. I wonder, maybe you and I ought to wonder, how many of them reflected upon the events that they had just witnessed? I'll bet you almost every single one of them knew who Paul was. I'll bet you every single one of them had either heard from Paul firsthand or from one of their neighbors or friends about the gospel, that Jesus Christ lived. That Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for the sins of this world. Three days later, this Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
to prove that he was God of very God, to give eternal life to everyone who believed in him. I bet you almost all of them had heard that message. But the majority of them, we are told, refused to consider the truth because of their blind devotion to their religion, their, their goddess Artemis. And others were far too concerned with their present economic well-being than to give any thought to eternal realities. This sad statement, this sad place in Scripture ought to remind you and me that if we're not careful, we too can allow worldly concerns that surround and swirl around us to drown out the voice of God's truth. Let me share with you. When we were looking for a place for church, the hardest part was to find something big enough that had enough parking. We could find many big buildings. We didn't find very many big buildings that had parking available. The gentleman that owns this place and the place next door bought these places for retirement for his family and himself so that he could go into his later years. He's still a young man, very successful in his business. He bought these places for his family. We challenged him with the thought of turning these places over for eternal things, eternal values, and allowing God to take care of his retirement. I had the privilege of pastoring Yorba Linda Friends Church for 18 years. I had the privilege of knowing a man named Frank Marshburn. How many of you ever heard the name Frank Marshburn? Some of you have. He died quite a while ago. He and his family owned Marshburn Farms. I heard this story firsthand from Frank. He told me this. So as far as I know, this is true. As far as I know. When he and his family owned Marshburn Farms, it started to explode. They, they, I was told last night by a couple here that they started the first idea of packaging vegetables into smaller amounts and selling them like that. Anyways, neither here nor there. When they first started the business and it started to go so well, he and his family started to give 10% to the Lord. Right off the top, 10%. The more successful they became, they started giving 20%, 30%. Later on in their business, they were giving 90% of what they made to the Lord. They kept 10% for themselves. I mean, really, folks, when you start making millions of dollars, how many millions of dollars do you need? I mean, you can only sleep in one bed. <laughs> so they were giving the money unto the Lord. And every year, their business was flourishing. Every year. They decided to sell their business, and there was a group out there that saw their books and saw 90% they're giving away. Let's buy this place because there's a lot of money we can make. They bought the Marshburn Farms from the Marshburn family. And Frank told me three years later they couldn't grow squat on that land. Nothing grew. He looked at me and he said, Who do you think was growing those vegetables all the time? They made their priority not their business. They made their priority their Lord. And the more they blessed him, 
the more he blessed them. And they lived long enough to see that business go under after they got rid of it. Because the people that bought it wanted to keep it for their prosperity. Turn with me now back to Mark chapter 8. I want to say this again, but this time, if I may, I want to make it a little more personal. And I want to add a couple of verses. In verse 34, in Mark chapter 8, it says that Jesus Christ summons, summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, now I'm going to paraphrase some of this, but you're going to see, I'm not going to go and vary from what is said. He said, do you want to come after me? Then you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross and you've got to follow me. The issue is it is your cross. It's not the cross. Each of us have a different burden. Each of us have a different cross that we are carrying following our Lord. And you and I cannot take our crosses and compare our crosses with the next person beside us. And say, why are they not doing all that I'm doing? Or why am I not doing all that they're doing? That's God's business. He only asks you and me to deny ourself and to take up our cross and follow him. Then he says in verse 35, whoever wishes to save their life is going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake and the gospel, in other words, for the word of God, will save it. Jesus is saying, if you try, if you try to save your own life, you're going to end up losing it. Let me save your life. Give your life to me. Lose it for my sake, and you'll save it. Then he says in verses 36 and 7, what does it profit you? What in the world does it profit you if you gain this world, the whole world, and yet forfeit your soul? What, he says, will you give in exchange for your soul? says in verse 38, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, my words, whoever is ashamed of this, the word of God, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of them when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. It is my deepest belief that we are in a sinful and, gener- and adulterous generation. We're living in this time. I want to challenge you and me to take stock of our lives. What is our priority? What is our driving force as human beings? My my suggestion to you strong is to make Jesus Christ your number one priority, your first love and keep them as your first love. And then prioritize your life. Bring order to your life so that when anything comes that seems to be disruptive, you know exactly how to act or react. 
you've already thought it through. My priority is my Lord, then my wife, then my children, then this church. Beyond that, I have no priorities. Beyond that, nothing is going to draw me away from doing what I do here. Someone could offer me multi, multi, multi millions of dollars to run a corporation, which they wouldn't. They wouldn't be that stupid. But if they did, <laughs> it would take me a half a second less to tell them, no, thank you. No, thank you. In my spirit, I would say, why would I take something less when God has given me the very best? I already know my priority. I hope that you do. It brings order to your life. What does it profit you if you gained everything and lost your soul? What would you give in exchange for the most precious gift that anyone could ever give you? And that is your eternal life, your salvation. I went long. Father, please forgive me for that. Would you bless this time? This is going to be a warm day. Keep everybody careful out of the heat. But, Father, during this day, somewhere, somehow, maybe today or tomorrow, whenever, may we get alone with you and figure out what it is that you've asked of us. What's our priority in life? And would you take away any, any confusion? Bring order, Father, to where you want order, and that's within all of our lives. Thank you for this sweet family. God bless these sweet girls. God bless us church, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you more than I can tell you. More than I could ever tell you. Have a great day, every one of you. I love you so much.